Very good. Okay. So we'll get started and then uh, we'll let people in as they come in. Let's close the eyes. <clears throat> A nice position with the with the spine upright, comfortable, relaxed spine, but if possible, vertical. Eyes closed. Let's recite Om three times. Take a deep inhalation. Om. softly now and as we always do we'll start with our invocation to Sage Patanjali <clears throat> so <clears throat> again I will share the screen with you so you can either read along or just listen and let me share the screen So this is the invocation to Sage Patanjali. <clears throat> okay. So let me, I've actually, you know, you, some of you might notice that I've added one more verse in there now, which is usually associated with this invocation. But most people tend to do the first one only. But then there are a few, you know, who say the second one should also be <laughs> recited along with that. But we'll see. <clears throat> Let's see how it goes. Okay, so the way we recite that is, and you are welcome to join in if you are comfortable. Yogena chittasya padena vacham malam sharirasya chivaidyakena yopakarotam pravaram muninam Patanjalim Pranjaliranatosmi Patanjalim Pranjaliranatosmi Abahupurushakaram Shankachakrasidharinam Sahasrashirasam Shvetam Pranamami Patanjalim so as you notice, the, the two verses are in different meters. That's where it kind of changes the rhythm, changes the, the, the tune. Okay. So <clears throat> one of you, maybe uh, uh, Sunil, you want to read the English translation of these two verses loud?
Hey, sure. Yeah, I can. I can read. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I respectfully bow down with the folded hands and offer my salutations to Sage Patanjali, the highest amongst the munis who has presented the remedies for removing the impurities of the body through his treatise of Ayurveda, of language through his treatise of grammar, Patan, Patanjali Mahabhasha, and the impurities of Chitta, mind field, through his treatise, oh, what is that word? It's treatise, treatise on yoga, yoga sutras of Patanjali. Right. I bow to Patanjali, whose upper body above the arms is of human shape, who is carrying a couch, a, a discus, a discus, and a sword, and has ten one thousand bright heads. Okay, very good. So this is like I always hear it say: so recognition of the of the genius of uh, Patanjali. Um, could you talk about that last verse you added about the upper body? Well, you know, they, again, because there is almost nothing known about Patanjali as to where, you know, what he was like, where he was born and all, but then most people believe he was the reincarnation of this uh, uh, this whole uh, snake. It's called this, you know, it's like a snake shape, right? But so he had... The upper body was the human body. The, the remaining part of the body was a snake, basically. And he was an incarnation of this Ananta or the Naga, or Vishnu. You know, Vishnu is always uh, shown as reclining on a, on a snake. That's his, uh, you know, kind of the, <laughs> the, the bed, so to say, where he's always reclining. And uh, then this... Uh, uh, Patanjali was supposedly his reincarnation, but when he was incarnated, there are all kinds of folklore stories that he got a human head, but he had a the lower part of his all snake. And there are, you know, there is significance mentioned as what exactly is when he's carrying a conch or a discus and a sword, and what are the significances, etc. I don't know too much about this folklore. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, that's what it is. Okay, let's uh, go back for a moment. We can. Okay, so um, uh, since some of you are new, uh, just give you a very quick kind of a background as to what we have been doing. <clears throat> So these, these uh, monthly workshops, like, you know, it's monthly, so it's once a month on the third Saturday. And uh, I think we started more than a year ago with this particular round, and we have been going through sutras, one sutra at a time, and uh, uh, trying to understand the kind of the underlying concepts presented by Patanjali. Uh, and right now we are in this whole, uh, you know, the, the concept called the eight limbs of yoga called Ashtanga Yoga. So that's what we are currently studying. And, uh, and as a part of this, we just finished a couple of weeks ago, a couple of sessions ago, this discussion of the eight, uh, the, the five yamas and five niyamas. We were done with that. 
which is a very important part of the whole, uh, the, the underlying structure of yoga, the yamas and niyamas. So, and last week, uh, again, I keep saying week, it's the last session, last month. <laughs> last month, we uh, started the, the practice, I mean, the understanding of asana. So, and that's what we will continue with now. So, let me just get to that slide and I'll share this slide with you in just one second. So we, uh, let me share this slide. Okay. okay. So I hope you can see this. So the, um, the very introductory, you know, sutra for for the asana practices, Thera Sukham Asana. It's a very well-known uh, sutra because it really defines what an asana should be like. And it says it should be very steady posture and a very comfortable posture, basically. So this is what we cover, covered last time. Thera Sukham Asana. And then the next one is, uh, so this is where we want to start now. Does anybody want me to repeat the eight limbs of yoga? Does everyone know what the eight limbs of yoga are? If you would no. mind repeating, that would be awesome. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, I also don't know. Yeah. All right. Let me just go back. <laughs> good, good. You have to speak up if you don't know. That way, you know, I can... Uh, where did I list them? Okay, so uh, these are the eight limbs of yoga. So uh, actually it starts out with this very introductory sutra where it says that by the practice of these eight limbs of yoga, the impurities of the mind go away and then we get the light of wisdom. There dawns the light of wisdom and it leads to eventually self-realization. I mean, that's the very crux of the understanding of the eight limbs of yoga that by really rigorous and, and regular practice of these eight limbs of yoga, you can attain self-realization. That means you will be able to understand who you truly are. Okay, that's the whole purpose. That's the whole goal of yoga. That was number 28 sutra. And then in uh, sutra number 29 of chapter two, he, he defines these eight limbs of yoga. Okay, so the, the eight limbs are yama, Niyama, Asana, Pranayama, Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyan, and Samadhi. All right. So, Yamas and Niyamas, these are two kind of the foundational guidelines for uh, behavior, basically. Social, ethical, moral, you know, behavior patterns. Okay. There are five Yamas and five Niyamas. And I'll quickly, you know, go through the listing. Asana is the, is, is the ability to sit very still. Sit very still for meditation for a long period of time, but it should be comfortable, okay? Still and comfortable. That's where we are now. Then pranayama is the ability to control, learn how to control your, your breathing in multiple ways. Then pratyahara is, is to teach your mind how to uh, turn the senses inward so that they are not, in, mind is not influenced uh, by the by the five senses, that's pratyahara, 
then dharana, dhyana, and samadhi are kind of a continuation of, of the, the practice of meditation. Okay? So if I were to just move on to the, the eight uh, yamas, very quick, I'm just going through this very quickly because we have all done this right now. So the five yamas are ahimsa, which is not hurting anybody or, or including yourself, not causing any injury or any kind of violence. People, Some people like to call it non-violence also, ahimsa. Satya is the, the truthfulness, which is to understand what the ultimate truth of life is. You know, what are we trying to achieve in the ultimate sense? But again, at a practical level, Satya implies that you should never tell a lie, basically. Not to others and not to yourself. Okay, all these apply to yourself also, even though the most emphasis is on others. But since, <laughs> in a way, we are also others because my true identity is my soul, and as far as that is concerned, even my body is other, my mind is other. Okay, so I don't want to hurt myself also. <laughs> so that way, you know, you can think of this body as something other than me. Okay, asteya is non-stealing. And brahmacharya is continence or mostly commonly applied to sexual, uh, controlling the sexual urges, so to say. Okay. And aparigraha is non-hoarding, not being greedy, not being tempted to, to hold on to things, you know, which we don't need, basically. Need-based. Okay. So that's these uh, five uh, yamas. And then five niyamas are uh, shaucha, which is purity and cleanliness, purity of the body and mind and environment. Santosha is contentment. That means being happy, contented with what, you, you know, what your situation is in life. Uh, acceptance, so to say. Tapas is austerities or, or learning how to toughen up, basically. I, I like to call it toughening up, you know body and mind, you know, you make yourself really tough and strong so that, again, you're not disturbed by anything around you. Swadhyaya is the self-study or the study of your own true self through meditation, through other chanting, japa and all that, you know, or, or, or reading the scriptures, that's also Swadhyaya. Then uh, Ishwara Pranidhana. Pranidhana is Surrendering deep, uh, deep you can call it devotional surrender in a sense. Okay, surrender to who? Ishwara. Ishwara is the is is the is that aspect of being which is completely unchanged. It never changes. So it's the common translation is God, but <laughs> you have to understand what that God means in this context. Context. Okay. All right, so this is Ishwara Pranidhana, surrendering to some superior reality. Okay, so those were the uh, yamas and niyamas, all right? And then they, we went, went through a lot of discussion of the five yamas and five niyamas. We spent a lot of time there, all right? So let's move on to our current sutra now, which is to study the uh, asana practice. Okay, so like I said, this is the asana practice. 
Sthira Sukham Asanam. Sthira means steady. Sukham means uh, it should be comfortable, easy going. Okay? No strain, no movement, no trembling, no nothing. Okay, that's the Sthira Sukham Asanam. All right, so our today's discussion starts with uh, Sutra number 47 in chapter 2. <clears throat> now, you know, when I normally do it in the, in, in the studio, I, 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 re I, recite, I, I recite one, you know, I mean, I repeat one word and then everyone repeats after me. But here, I just break the words out and then try to explain the meaning. And in your own mind, if you want to repeat, you can try and repeat. But keep yourself on mute so that, you know, it's not disturbing anybody. Okay. All right. So the, the words are, and I'm going to break these words into individual words because in Sanskrit, you can combine the words and make several words together into a single word. Okay, so this is one example. The words are prayatna, shaitilya, ananta, samapattibhyam. Okay, so again, prayatna, shaitilya, ananta, samapattibhyam. Those are the the four words here in this particular sentence. So the meanings are, in, individual word meanings are, prayatna means effort. Prayatna means anything that you endeavor to do, that's, and, and whatever you put, want to put into that endeavor, that's called prayatna. Okay, the energy or the effort that you put into something. Okay? The word shaithilya means it comes from shithil. The word is shithil, and the noun that represents that, uh, or the quality of that shithil, is shaithilya. It's to, is it's complete letting go, it's sort of loosening up everything. Shaithilya means very loose body, basically. I'm just saying, uh, in the sense that, you know, it's completely letting go of any endeavor to do anything, basically, very loose. Shaithilya. And then the last two words are ananta samapatti. Samapatti is roughly the same thing as samadhi or, or a deep sense of absorption. And the word ananta, ananta, you know, it comes from the word anta. Anta means the end. And when you add the prefix na or ananta, it becomes endless, basically, a very large amount, basically, or a huge amount. Okay. So a deep, you can call it deep. So a deep, kind of state of meditation, all right? That's one meaning. There are, and we'll go through the, 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 the commentators as to what they have to say about these words. One thing you will notice that these sutras are very cryptic, very, very brief and very, very cryptic. And you absolutely need the help of a commentator to understand what might have been the intent of the, of the writer which is Patanjali in this case. Otherwise, it is almost impossible to understand some of these sutras, at least. It's very hard. But then, <laughs> as you can expect, every commentator has their own way of interpreting and representing each word. Okay, And there are sometimes vast differences in their understanding. So again, you are left to you. At least you, get, you are given the options. Okay. All right, this commentator says this, this commentator says this. What do you think is the right one? You pick. At least you have some options. Without that, you have sometimes no options whatsoever. You don't know what to expect. Okay, so you may still be confused, but at least 
it's it's a confusion based on some understanding. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. Okay, so the meaning is that you know uh, previous sentence was asana should be steady and comfortable, and to get there you have to do this. You have to relax the effort and meditate on the infinite. Ananta is infinite, basically, which has no end. Okay. And I'll give you my interpretation, my understanding, and I'll give you the understanding of some of the other commentators, what they mean by all this. Uh, all right, let's move on. Okay. So, Prayatna Shaitilyam is letting go of unnecessary effort, no role played by the ego. Now, I, I mentioned this specifically because when we, when we do asana practice, okay, ego plays a big role in our practice. What does that mean? <laughs> if you're in a class and you have several other uh, you know, students who are doing the class with you and uh, you, know, you do some asana like, let's say, warrior pose or something like that or, or headstand or whatever, or one of these asanas and or even a simple pose like touching the toes, you know. Now you try to touch the toes and your hands don't go beyond your knees. But there's another guy who's, who's not only the hands are across the knees, but his chest is resting on the thighs. And your chest is about a foot away from the thighs. Okay. All right. Now the ego will come into the picture. May It may come into the picture and say, how, how shameful of, of me, you know, look at this guy. He's able to put his chest on the thighs and I can't even touch my hand my own to my knees. Okay. I must make an effort. That's the part that ego will play, like to play. And if you let that happen, you can get hurt. You can get injured. Okay. And that is why Patanjali says, Prayatna Shaitilya. Don't make that extra effort. You have to make some effort. But no more than that, no more than what your body can endure comfortably. That comfort word, sukham, is very, very important. Okay, So let go of any unnecessary effort. And then ananta samapatti. Now, this sentence is my understanding and my, you know, my approach to the practice of asana. Complete absorption of the experience of asana at each stage. Every time you make a movement, it's an experience, right? So if I'm bending forward and trying to touch my toes, all right, the moment I slide my hands closer and closer to my toes, my experience changes, right? Am I able to absorb that experience? I'm, am I able to stay absorbed in that experience? That means I don't look at anybody else. I don't let my mind drift away from that experience because I really want to focus on what my body is, is doing, how I'm feeling, and I'm going to be in a state of meditation on that experience. Now, that is my understanding of Ananta Samapatti. All right. And, you know, for me, it works. But what are some of the other people saying? Okay. Ananta is endless space, akasha, outside and inside. Allow the body to become one with this vast space. That's one interpretation. This Aranya, you know, there's a very famous author by the name Aranya. His commentary, he says, Ananta means 
you become, you expand your awareness so much that you feel as if you're one with this entire vast expanse of space. Okay? That's Ananta Samapati. Get absorbed in that. All right? Fine. If that's what works for you, go ahead. Okay? Meditation is endless. Ananta also translated as the snake. Okay? There's the whole mythology in the Indian context, which says that this whole universe, earth, is resting on a snake, multiple heads on this snake and a hood, you know, multi-hooded snake. How many, how many hoods are there? Seven? Uh, anybody know, Amita? In my book, it says a thousand-headed serpent. No, that's, that's Patanjali, but when we, or maybe that's what it is. The earth is supported by a snake. I don't know how many heads it's supposed to have. It says a thousand hooded serpent, which is said to carry the world on its head. Okay, okay. All right. Well, Adasia, A-D-I-S-E-S-A. Agatsya, yeah. What's that? Agatsya Muni, I think she's talking about. Okay, well, you know. So that's what I'm saying. Every, every uh, commentator has their own kind of view. Okay, so that's one more. And whose copy you're reading, uh, Eleanor? Um, the Yoga by Swati, um, Swami Sachinanda. Okay, that's, the, that's our. Okay, so Ananta, uh, the snake that upholds the earth, so symbolizing strength and steadiness. You know, that snake, because it is holding the whole universe, and we want to be same thing, you know, strong and steady in our posture. So that's another interpretation. Then ananta can also mean the kundalini shakti at the base of the spine. Remember the kundalini shakti, which is residing at the base of the spine, is also represented as a snake. Okay. So the word ananta also means a snake, basically. So, so many people. Subhash, in, in um, Edwin Bryan's commentary, he suggests that ananta in this Sutra may actually be referring to Patanjali himself. Well, that's because he has a snake, uh, right. snake's body. Right. You know, so again, every commentator, as you can see, has a different approach. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's why uh, when I started looking at all these commentaries, you know, for me, this works the best that you absorb yourself in the experience you're having at that time in that, in that posture and get, get totally absorbed in there. Totally meditate on that experience and it becomes a very beautiful, joyful experience and very safe also. That's what you want. Okay? So you can you know, take it or leave it. Like I said, this is my interpretation, my understanding and that's how I practice my asanas. Um, I have another comment. In my book, it translates it as by lessening the natural tendency for restlessness, which brings up a point that I've noticed that having to do yoga now on Zoom, if you're not in the class, I think it's real easy to get distracted when you're in your house because, I mean, like somebody might walk in the room or you might like be tempted to go, you know, when there's a lull in the class to jump up and go run, do something else. So I think it's, I think this interpretation tendency for restlessness definitely applies right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, sure. <laughs> pick, pick the one that applies to you. <laughs> I 
I, I agree with the experience of asana. I think for me, it's, it's really vital rather than go through the, the motion um, to be, uh, spend some time, like a few seconds even in one posture and see what it does to the body and experience it. I think that's, that does a lot for me. Exactly. You know, I like that you know, myself. That's how I kind of stay with that. That's how I try to encourage people to at least to try that out. And, and, you know, every time you hold the pose, even for a few seconds, every second, the experience changes. You know, the more you hold, the, the different is the experience every time. And if you are not paying attention to that experience, you can get hurt. But with that, staying with the experience, becoming totally one with that, you start enjoying that whole pose. You make adjustments if you need to. And eventually your practice becomes much deeper in that way. That's my, my observation. Yeah, and also that, that is a more um, energizing and healing experience at the same time because when we focus on something, uh, energy follows attention. And so, uh, you know, whatever part of the body that is, Very I feel nice. like it gets healed. Very good. Yep. Excellent. Well, also it kind of brings up a point that um, you should be able to do all this by yourself. Yeah. I mean, the, the best part is to be in a class, but um, if you're by yourself, you should be able to do it that way because when the class up, like I miss the energy of being in the class of everybody else, but uh, the ultimate reality should be that you by yourself can motivate that from within you. Right. Absolutely. Yes. You're right. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with Eleanor. It, it almost seems like that state of um, escaping from the restlessness and, and focusing on the posture is, is easier in a private practice than in a class setting um, because there aren't the teachers, though obviously encouraging and useful words, it's, it's silent and it's just you with yourself. Um, so this is it's sort of easier, I found. Although, like at the same time, but being in class is, is very enjoyable. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. All right. So, uh, so that's the uh, Ananta Samapatti part. And uh, uh, you know, I, I mentioned it last time, but those who are new, you know, I, I just want to repeat the, the very word asana, the word asana actually means only a sitting posture. It comes from the root word as, which means to sit. And then all these other asanas, you know, like the standing postures, the reclining or the inverted postures or stand, whatever, you know, they are all, they were all added later on, okay, uh, to, to develop a body which can sit for meditation for a long period of time. But the real word of meaning of word asana is sitting posture. Just want to repeat that. Okay. If there are any other thoughts, please speak up on asana. Otherwise, we'll move on to the next sutra. Okay. So uh, the next sutra is number 48. And again, I'll read, I'll, I'll uh, break down this sentence into different words and, and then speak these words. So this one is tataha dvandva anabhighataha. So tataha dvandva anabhighataha. Okay, that's the, the sentence in Sanskrit. Okay, so again, three words, tataha, 
द्वंद्व अनभिघात तथा मीन्स देन एट दैट पॉइंट यू नो वेन एट दैट पॉइंट वट पॉइंट वेन यू हैव अटेन्ड ए वेरी स्टिल एंड वेरी कंफर्टेबल पॉस्चर थ्रू दिस प्रैक्टिस ऑफ प्रयत्न शैथिल्यम अनंत समापत्ति यू नो यू हैव अप्लाइड ऑल दीज थिंग्स एंड यू हैव अटेन्ड ए बॉडी पॉस्चर विच इज वेरी स्टिल एंड एंड वेरी परफेक्टली स्टिल एंड वेरी कंफर्टेबल इन दैट पॉइंट वट हैपन्स द्वंद्व अनभिघाता द्वंद्व मीन्स all the dualities anabhighataha again the same thing there is a prefix na which negates the the, the following word abhighataha means abhighataha means actually it literally means to strike something <laughs> okay so uh and when you add the prefix na which negates it so it becomes anabhighata that means you're not struck by anybody anything and what is it that you're not struck by dwandva dualities that means the dualities of life do not bother you okay now again here is a little bit of a confusion in the whole thing dwandva can be at a very deep level dwandva you know the dualities can be at the physical level physiological level mental emotional spiritual everything right and then uh, some of the commentators go as far as saying that okay you will have uh, you know a freedom from all the dualities at all levels again my understanding okay i'm always going to give you my understanding which may be different from some of the other commentators because this is a physical activity we are doing it's a physical posture we are sitting in a posture which is very very comfortable very steady but it's a physical be physical thing it has mental uh, implications okay but the activity itself is physical at the physical level so my my understanding is that we are talking about dualities more at the physical level hot and cold okay that's you know a very common example all right uh, comfortable uncomfortable painful not painful okay so those are the kind of dualities that i think i want to focus more on at the physical level but then there are commentators who say oh it will give you freedom from honor and dishonor it will give you freedom from pain and suffering and you know all the way deep into the spiritual levels now that level of freedom is the ultimate goal of yoga which in my opinion cannot just be obtained just by the practice of asana okay you need all the eight limbs of yoga to get to that level of you know freedom from duality so again take your pick uh, i'm only telling you what uh, most of the authors say here let's see what the people say here okay so once in steady and comfortable asana no assaults from the pairs of experiences and like i said in my understanding these pairs of experiences are mostly at the physical level mostly but there may be you know obviously it extends beyond that i'm sure okay so because of this uh position it loses we lose all awareness of the body and its sensations basically I mean, that's the whole idea okay once you are so deeply engrossed then you don't have any sensation in the body which means you will be free from heat and cold okay and i always like to add you know i wish 
this applied to me also. <laughs> I, I, I have been practicing asana for so many years, but I have never been able to stay away from a sensation of heat and cold. Never. My feet are always cold. My heater is always on. My sweater is always on, you know. But you, you are able to embrace that experience, right? You are, it doesn't in, interfere with your... No, it doesn't, no. So, so that's, that's already a progress. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't interfere with anything that I'm doing, but you know, I'm able to uh, live, live with it, enjoy it, whatever it is. And yet I have that sensation of cold in these in cold days. <laughs> but then, you know, one, one commentator says it's just like being under the influence of anesthesia, you know, because your, your, mind, your body has been completely kind of uh, desensitized because of that state that you're in. So it is like being under the influence of anesthesia, all awareness. So heat and cold, pleasure and pain, good and bad, hunger and thirst, these are all at the physical level. That's what I, I said in my mind, okay? And, and each, any one of these pairs, they cause mental conflict, every one of them, all right? And that can cause mental problems eventually. And then, you know, it goes on and on, builds up. Now, this is a very important thing to remember that the good practice, good asana, you know, a firm and stable and, and comfortable asana is a prerequisite for pranayama, pratyahara, and for meditation. Why did I not say meditation here? So necessary for other limbs like pranayama, change that, pratyahara, and meditation. All right. That's important. And then once you have that very stable and steady posture, it develops willpower necessary for undertaking long periods of meditation. That's very important. You need that frame of mind which you can use to stay in meditation for long periods of time. That's very important. Unless you have that, that mindset, that intention set at the beginning of meditation, it's, a, it's very likely your mind will be drifting off to different places very soon. Okay, But once you set the intention and then you develop that inner you know, strength of, of your mind, then you can hold that, that mind frame uh, for a longer period of time. And that can come from a very stable, stable and steady physical posture. Okay? Uh, just wanted to check: is the is the uh, the font size okay? For everyone can read that. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Subhash, you might want to go into um, slideshow mode, though, so okay. you don't see all the nav around. All right, let me do that then. All right, yeah, that's better. Okay. All right, so this is the, this is the 
sutra where is tataha dvandva adabhighataha. All right. You're getting, you know, when I read these Sanskrit phrases, I hope you're getting some sense of the, the words in Sanskrit also. It's very important to kind of make a connection with the languages. <laughs> Everything is in Sanskrit, so it's, it's, it's a good idea to at least uh, listen to the words and get a feel for their sounds. And in the process, I'm also trying to teach you a little bit of the actual meaning of these words and how they are constructed. Hopefully it is useful. <laughs> okay. Now let's move on to this whole concept of pranayama. What is pranayama? How it is defined by Patanjali? Sutra number 49, chapter 2. So let me break these words into individual words. Tasmin sati shwasa prashwasa yoho gati vichedaha. Pranayama. Oh, I should point my here because most of you cannot read Sanskrit. So, Tasmin Sati Shwas Prashwasayoho. And this R changes to H when you uh, break the Sandhi. So, actually, I should. Oh. Oops, sorry. I cannot change it in this mode. Let me just. Uh oh, what happened? <laughs> Okay. Uh, I want to change this letter. That's the pronunciation changes here when you break the words. Okay. So Tasmin Sati Shwasa Prashwasa Yoho Gati Vichedaha Pranayamaha. That's the sentence. All right. So Tasmin Sati means being there. Having been, having established that position. Okay, what is that position? Stable and steady posture. I mean, that's always, it refers back to the previous, previous sutra or maybe sutra before that. But this is always assumed. Tasmin Sati means in that, being in that, in being in that. that that's all it means. Being, Sati means being and Tas means being in, in that. So being in that, in that what? In that posture that we just talked about. So once you are established nicely in that posture, then, okay, very stable postures, comfortable posture. That's the whole idea. Once you're there, that means that becomes a prerequisite, as I mentioned, for pranayama. It's a prerequisite. Make that, keep that in mind. Okay? Shwasa. Shwasa means inhalation, generally, okay? Prashwasa means Exhalation. Okay, now of these two, shwasa prashwasa yoho, of these two, what do you want to do? Gati vichedaha. <laughs> this is where the commentators have a you know, you know wild time. You know. Everyone has their own interpretation of what this means. Okay, and I'll give you mine. <laughs> okay, so Having established yourself in that very beautiful, steady, and comfortable posture, then the, the gati vicheda. Vicheda means interruption. Gati means the movement. Interruption in the movement of, of 
incoming breath and outgoing breath. Shwasa is incoming breath, prashwasa is outgoing breath. Okay. And the cheda, cheda is to have a, actually cheda can also mean a hole. <laughs> so the cheda can mean a, a kind of a crack or a big hole or whatever you want to call it. Okay, there are multiple meanings of these words, vicheda. Gati means movement. So the movement of the inhalation is happening, movement of the exhalation is happening, and then you somehow either create a hole in there or, or break it somehow, all right? <laughs> Interrupted, basically. That's what I mean. Okay, so my translation would be that, that means firm and comfortable posture being acquired, Controlled interruptions in the movements of inhalation and exhalation is pranayama. Okay, this is you know, uh, this is my own kind of translation that I have used here. All right, so let's see what the notes say now. Uh, these notes are based on some of the commentators that I've read. Hey, Subhash, it's Laura. Yes. Can you just go and full screen your PowerPoint? Go in the upper right and hit that little box. I did that last time, but you know, I had no, to. No, not slideshow mode, not slideshow mode, but just the PowerPoint uh, window itself in the upper right, if you can maximize, maximize your window. Oh, this one here? Yeah, yeah. And then you All can right. still stay in edit mode, but we can't see your other windows, your other screens. That's good. Oh, I see, I see, I see, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, I get it. Where are we? All right, this one here. Okay. Ah. I see. Good, good, good. Okay, let's move on. Let's see what the other people have to say. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, when we talk of pranayama, right, in our normal practice, we always say there are four phases of breathing, right? Four phases. There is inhalation, there is exhalation, and then you can hold the breath either after inhalation or after exhalation. And there are, uh, now these terms are not used by Patanjali obviously, but they are very often referred to as puraka for inhalation, rechaka for exhalation, and the retention after inhalation is called antara kumbhaka, and retention after exhalation is called bahya kumbhaka. Okay, some people call it bahyantar, Otherwise, antar kumbhaka. Kumbhaka is breath retention. Okay. The word kumbhaka is a, is a Sanskrit word for a pot, basically. Kumbhaka is a generally a round pot, you know, uh, which contains water, etc. So that's kumbhaka. So when you inhale, you know, uh, your, your lungs fill up almost like a kumbhaka, but when you exhale, it becomes empty, it's still like a kumbhaka in, a, in that sense. So there are four different phases of breathing, all right? Puraka, Rechaka, Antar Kumbhaka, Bahya Kumbhaka, all right? Now, what this sutra is saying, <clears throat> okay, that you have to learn how to break, Gati Vicheda, interrupt, break the flow of Shwasa and Prashwasa, okay? So that's pranayama. That means Patanjali says that adding breath retention to your pranayama to your practice of breathing that makes it pranayama. If you don't do breath retention, then according to him, according to this sutra, 
It's not yet complete pranayama. That definition doesn't hold in the modern context. And everyone says that you can do retention uh, only if you have a little advanced state of pranayama. But in general, they say start without breath retention. Most teachers will tell you that. That doesn't mean that you're not doing pranayama. Okay. So I'm just giving you the modern kind of approach now. Okay. So um, breath, I mean, this is, we understand that is a gross manifestation of prana. Prana is the cosmic life force. Okay. And breath is also a link between the body and the mind. Okay. So uh, it connects the mind and the body together. This, I don't know where I got it from. Mind is not consciousness. <laughs> I'm going to delete that. That's not true. The link between the body and mind, yes. Consciousness is beyond mind and body. So I don't want to mention that there. Now, the vehicle for prana is the pranamaya kosha with all its channels of subtle energy. Does everyone know what pranamaya kosha is? Does everyone know the five koshas? Okay. No. no? It's the layer, like the different bodies, right? Uh-huh. Like, Manamaya. Yeah, Panamaya Kusha is the subtle body made of Pana, and uh, then you have an, uh, Anamaya Kusha, which is the physical body. Uh -huh. Manamaya Kusha, which is the body of thought and mm -hmm. mind. And then you have the Vijnanamaya Kusha, which is the body of consciousness. Uh, then, right? Consciousness, I, I, I'm not sure I'll go that far. For me, consciousness, okay. consciousness is the, the final goal, which is the, the soul or the spirit. That's what I call consciousness. It depends on what you think of consciousness. But Vijnanamaya Kusha is more of intuition, not consciousness. Oh, okay. Okay. And then there is a Ananda Mayakosha, which is bliss. Yes. Very good. Yeah, that's beautiful. So there are the five uh, different, you can think of them as the layers of experience, I call them. You know, they're, they're, those are the layers which you can experience as you go deeper and deeper into your, uh, into your uh, consciousness, into your layers of consciousness, you know. They are, they are influenced by consciousness, every one of them, okay? Uh, so, you know, uh, also kind of sidetrack a little bit the, the, the two words. Sometimes people tend to uh, use them interchangeably, the awareness and consciousness. Okay? I like to distinguish between the two, okay? What's the distinction? What's the distinction between awareness and consciousness? Anybody? Okay. What's the difference between awareness and consciousness? Um, maybe consciousness is more uh, global, like uh, uh, cosmic, like, and awareness is just like uh, uh, individual. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, basically, when I say awareness, right? Uh, I'm aware that this is a book, right? 
I'm aware, yeah. aware of this presence. But how do I know that this is a book and what, what, is, what is it that behind this awareness? That's what I mean by consciousness. If you have no consciousness, you cannot be aware of this. So uh, consciousness is the cause, is the, is, the, is, the, uh, is the entity that's making you aware of things. All right? Okay? So a very crude example would be, you know, you, uh, let's say you get hurt. You hit your head on a, on, a, on a piece of stone and you fall unconscious, as we say, right? So you cannot, you, you have no awareness at that, no consciousness. You cannot feel anything, all right? Now, at that time, you're not, not aware of what's around you because you have no consciousness. When you become conscious of yourself, when you, when you gain consciousness, then you become aware of who's around you. That's the, you know, at a crude level, that's the distinction between consciousness and awareness. But in the, in the context of yoga, consciousness is the purusha, is the, is the soul, is the atma, is the pure being. And that, because the, this entire material body complex is non-conscious, it has no uh, consciousness of its own. It borrows consciousness from purusha to function. To, to become aware, it needs that consciousness to be borrowed from Purusha. So that's the kind of distinction I like to make between consciousness and awareness. Does that make sense? <laughs> does any, excuse me, does anybody experiencing the speaker is not being good right now? It is just me. What's that? Is Mine is okay. Oh, okay. Sorry, it's probably on my I'm okay. Eyes. Somehow is breaking on my end. No problem. Oh, yeah, mine's okay here. It's okay. What's breaking? The sound is breaking? Yeah, it's probably on my end. It's very static for some reason. It was we're doing fine, but just all of a sudden recently. So I'm not too sure what could be. But no problem. I just wanted to ask. Mm. That's fine. Okay. It seems like I should check on my end. I'm not too sure what. Try, okay. try muting yourself and see if it helps. Yeah, okay. So, um, so we started with this discussion of the, of the five koshas. So the Annamaya kosha, just like Anna said, you know, it's the physical layer of experience, which is the physical body. But then we go a little, little more subtler than that, then becomes the Pranamaya kosha. Pranamaya kosha is the one which is sustained by, by breath, by our prana. And that's all the physiological functions. And, and of course, it has a deeper connection. With, like I said, it connects the physical body with the mind. So that's the link, the prana, okay, between the physical body and the mind. And then in, the, in this kosha, we have all these 72,000 nadis, you know, these subtle channels of energy. They're called the, you know, the nadis in, in Sanskrit. Okay? They are not physical. They are subtle, subtle channels of energy. And all that is influenced by our practice of pranayama. Okay. Now, <laughs> again, to give you an idea of what different words are used to explain the word gati vicheda by different authors. So I just picked up a few of these. Now, breaking, B-R-A-K-I-N-G. Okay. Breaking the force and uncontrolled movement. That's by Swami Veda Bharati breaking the force and uncontrolled movement. 
regulation of flow, that's aranya, regulation of the flow of incoming breath and outgoing breath. Controlling the movements, Swami Sachidananda. Again, regulation of the breath. Here it was regulation of flow. Bryant calls it regulation of the breath. And cessation of inspiration and expiration. That's timely. Break in the movement. Now this is B-R-E-A-K. Earlier the word user B-R-A-K-E. Not sure what the distinction is. They're using two different spellings here. Break in the movement of breath. Karambelkar. Cessation of movement. Satyananda. <laughs> so, as you can see, <laughs> every author, every commentator has their own way of understanding the word Gati Vicheda. And like I said, we are free to pick one that we like most. All right? <laughs> Okay. Any other thoughts on this one? Well, I guess breaking B-R-A-K is like putting on the brakes, stopping, mm -hmm. whereas break B-R-E-A-K is like a crack. Mm -hmm. So it could be a little different meaning. Yeah, I think that's what they, you know. Yeah. It might mean differently. Okay, that's a good way of uh, understanding it. Very nice. I think Aranya, when I was reading Aranya, he somehow says something similar that it is a sudden breaking, B-R-A-K-I-N-G. He doesn't use the word breaking, but I think the implication is that you should be able to uh, break the flow at any point during inhalation and exhalation. That's what Aranya implies. I don't know. For me, you know, like I'm saying, you know, my own understanding is very simplistic. This is what we practice. This is how we teach in the class. There's inhalation happening. There's exhalation happening. And there is the, the, uh, the breath retention. Okay. So you inhale and hold the breath. That's antar kumbhaka. You exhale and hold the breath. That's bahya kumbhaka. If you don't hold the breath, keep inhaling and exhaling. That's, again, different. All right. So uh, that's the whole practice here. And then the next sutra is, oh, this is not next sutra, sorry. <laughs> I jumped back to chapter one, sutra number 34, just to again, remind you that in the chapter one also we, we came across a, uh, a sutra which related to the prana, okay? Uh, and there, what Patanjali was talking about was how to calm the mind, okay? In, in, in chapter one, it was all about calming the mind, calm, you know, keeping the mind in a state which is very peaceful, all right? That, that was the contest in chapter one. And there he gave several different options. Okay, Ishwara Pranidhana was one of them, you know, uh, surrender to the Ishwara. But then he said, Va, Va means or, and he gives many different options there. So in this one, what he said was, Pracchardana, Pracchardana, Vidharana Bhyam, Va Pranasya. So, 
Prachardana, again, you know, the, the, the word used earlier was Prashwasa, right? <laughs> so Prashwasa and they say Prachardana are exactly the same thing. That means exhalation. Okay. So two different words meaning the same thing. Prachardana or Prashwasa. Both mean exhalation. Now, Vidharana. Dharana means to hold something. And Vidharana means nicely holding it onto something. That means what it says is that you hold the breath after exhalation or during exhalation. It doesn't specify which, either after exhalation or during exhalation. I don't know. You know, the, the sutra doesn't specify. Again, commentators have their own, you know, heyday. You know, they, they give you different approaches. And that was, uh, you know, defined not defined, that was mentioned as a way to calm the mind that when you can hold the breath either during exhalation or after exhalation, which really helps you calm the mind down. Okay, so that was another way of looking at of you know the impact of pranayama. All right, but that was in chapter one. This is just a recap. So, um, so the emphasis is on exhalation and retention rather than inhalation and retention. That's what the sutra says. That's why I'm saying, you know, it says prachardana vidharanabhyam. Prachardana applies to, to, uh, to exhalation. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I did the Ayurvedic psychology, uh, it was mentioned that when we exhale and then hold the breath, that's when we are closest to the divine. Mm -hmm. That's, well, that's the idea here. Very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So... This is just a recap of chapter one, all right? Just to kind of putting it in there. <laughs> okay, so now we get into this a uh, little bit longer sutra and I'm going to read the sutra first. Okay. So the words are, and I'm going to point my uh, mouse on the English uh, transliteration so that you, you know what I'm talking about. Bahya, Abhyantara Stambha Vrittihi Desh Kal Sankhyabhihi Paridrishtaha. Again, I should change that. When you break, when you break the Sandhi, then this O becomes Drishtaha. Otherwise, when you're reading it together, that means if you're reading it in a flow, so when you read this like Bahya Bhyantara Stambha Vrittihi Deshakala Sankhya Bihi Paridrishto Dirg Sukshmaha. That means there is no pause after this word. But when you pause and then break the, the rules, break, break the, uh, the joining of the words, then you have to pronounce it as Paridrishtaha. That's just Sanskrit. Okay, I hope you will understand that. Okay. Do you need to add an I after R, Sebastian? Hmm? Did you need to add? Oh, no. This one, you know, there's a dot under, under R, which means the same thing. Uh -huh. That represents the letter RI. RI. It's, so it's uh -huh. so paridrishta. Okay. There's a dot under R. That's how it is represented in the translation. 
Okay, so now, <clears throat> so these are the attributes or, or, or qualifications for the pranayama practice, okay? What happens when you do all these things? So here, uh, Patanjali is giving us all kinds of variables, okay, that can be applied to your practice of pranayama different variables and what constitutes your pranayama practices. So there are, so what he says, there are three types of vritti. Vritti means modifications, right? Three types of vritti. What is the vritti, three types of vrittis? Bahya vritti, abhyantara vritti, and stambha vritti. This word vritti applies to all these three words individually. Bahya vritti, abhyantara vritti, stambha vritti. Okay? So, what does it mean now? Okay, so what it's saying is, again, the same thing. You can do, Bahya means exhalation. Abhyantara means inhalation. <laughs> okay, different words, slightly, you know, different way to putting these things. And stamba means breath retention. So inhale, exhale, breath retention. Those are the three modifications which are the kind of the basic modifications of your pranayama practice, okay? Now, you also want to have, paridrishtaha means awareness. Again, paridrishtaha could be awareness. Drish means to see. And paridrish means to see very carefully. That means become totally uh, aware of what's going on. Paridrish, okay? Paridrishtaha. So, what are we seeing here? Desha, Kala, Sankhya. Three attributes. And I'm going to come to the meanings here uh, separately. But let me read the translation here. The modifications of the life breath. This is prana. Life breath is prana. Uh, let's, I should write down here prana. Okay. Are either external, internal, or stationary. So external is bahya, internal is abhyantara, and stambha is holding the breath, basically. And they are to be regulated by space, time, and number, and then either are long or short. Okay, so you could have long breath, short breath, subtle breath, soft breath, whatever, you know. So lots of different variations are, are mentioned by Patanjali here. Okay, so let's look at some of the notes that I have on this one. Okay, now, you know, when we, when we do these practices, like, you know, pranayama practices, we know that we add different ratios and different uh, types of uh, breathing. Sometimes we have soft breathing, sometimes we have hard breathing, long breathing, short breathing, etc. So all these are mentioned here, okay? And very, very commonly mentioned ratio, for example, I, I'm just giving you an example here that's very commonly mentioned, different ratios of inhale, exhale, and all that by various authors. Most common being one, two, two, one, four, two, et cetera. Remember uh, in pranayama, when we do the alternate nostril breathing, we always do this one to two ratio between inhale and exhale, but then we uh, interject a breath retention in between. Okay, so that in, that breath retention can be twice the inhalation or four times the inhalation, etc. 
but the ratio between inhale and exhale usually remains one to two for, for almost all long breathing practices, all right? And then of course, if you go a little deeper and more, uh, more advanced practices, then you start introducing the breath retention after exhalation as well, all right? So that's a little more advanced. Okay, and with practice over a period of time, one can prolong each breath and make it subtler, okay? The word paridrashta implies close observation or awareness of the full breathing cycle. That's what I mentioned. It comes from the root word drish. Drish means to see. Okay. okay. So when we say a scenery, that, that the word for that is drishya. Okay. We say a very beautiful scenery, sundaram drishyam. <laughs> That's what we say. And Based on these variables, many pranayama practices have evolved. And all these practices that we do, whether it is rapid breathing, whether it is kumbha, bhastrika or kapalabhati, they all involve some of these variations in their practice, right? Kapalabhati is fast breaths, forceful breaths, and very short breaths, best, uh, breaths, okay? And bhastrika is the same thing, very forceful and short bursts of breath, inhale and exhale. So you can <clears throat> apply these in multiple ways. You can have multiple permutations and combinations and then bring about a large number of pranayama practices. The beauty is, you know, these, these yogis obviously must have experimented. They were scientists in a way, because they would have experimented with all these variables. Patanjali says, go ahead and use these variables, all right? So why not? You know, apply these variables in multiple ways design variety of pranayama practices. And when they did that, to their delight, they found that almost every practice has some benefits in some way or the other. No matter how you value the, the breath, okay? So, uh, of course, you have to do it within limits. You know, you can't just go crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, cross your bounds of comfort in any practice, but that's, that goes without saying for any practice. But that's what these yogis did. They devised a large number of practices, experimented with them, and then put them together into, you know, for example, our uh, book Pradipika has multiple practices mentioned in there. And then many other uh, books are available which go in even more deep, deeper into the pranayama practices, many more than what, uh, what the, uh, the Pradipika says. And there's a very popular book by uh, BKS Iyengar. Some of you may have seen that book. It's called the uh, what is it called? Pranayama. It's, does anybody remember the name of that book? <laughs> it's a very thick book on Pranayama by, by Iyengar. Anyway. Uh, so that, that also has practices which are not in the Pradipika. It goes beyond that. Uh, there's another book by the, the, the school from, from uh, India, which is called the uh, Kaivalya Dham. Okay, Kaivalya Dham, there's another school there. They have a very book, a very nice book on Pranayama. And they also list a few practices which are not in the, in the Pradipika. So every commentator, every author, they'll give you a few practices like that. There's a book by Swami Shivananda. Again, it has more practices than there in the, in the Pradipika. People have been adding these practices, okay? Subhash, um, 
I'm afraid to admit this to my teacher right now, but I am, uh, I'm in the midst of another uh, of a pranayama class with my friend's teacher. And um, I, I'm, frankly, I'm in a bit over my head uh, in this class. Um, it, it's, it's one segment of a larger teacher training that's going on. I'm not doing the teacher training, but I wanted to take this pranayama portion. Anyway, my, my experience with pranayama so far has really been from what you've taught me. And so I thought that this was going to be sort of um, perhaps an expansion of a lot of the techniques that, that I've learned with you. It is not. Um, and, and I'm bringing this up because you're mentioning there, there's yogis over thousands of years have been experimenting as scientists with different types of pranayama practices. And so um, it's a two week course. We're just finishing up the first week right now. The first week has been entirely focused on this sutra, right? Every part of the practice is out of these 10, these 10 dimensions of this sutra. And by that, I mean, it's almost the, the practice as it's being taught right now. And again, I, I really admit there's things I'm just missing through Sanskrit that's being used. And I believe that the other people that are taking this course are well advanced compared to me. But nonetheless, it's almost a dharana type practice where going through the sequence of these 10, these 10 dimensions of, you know, your external breath, internal breath, your pauses on breath, the location of your focus. Um, during breath, um, playing with, it's really focused stuff. It's not even, you know, it's not, it's not focused so much on the, like there's no ujjayi breath. We're not doing any ujjayi breath. It's just almost passive breathing the entire time, you know, with, and, you know, playing with the time and sequencing of breath, but it's very different. It's, it's, it's all internal focusing internal. And again, we were talking some of the layers before that I'm, I'm not very familiar with. Um, but uh, I'm bringing this up one, just because I'm kind of confused about what I'm doing in the morning right now, but two, to just say that, yeah, I'm experiencing a different type of pranayama training right now that really is, it's not Kabbalapati. It's not Nadi Shukti. It's, it's very, very different. Mm -hmm. um, dealing with focusing on Marma point which I'm totally unfamiliar with. And this teacher's lineage um, is coming from a very, like a, a very old oral tradition. So much of what he's explaining, like I'm trying to Google stuff at night to figure out what the hell he's talking about. And I can't find anything because it's, it, it's not really, it, again, it, my understanding is it's all coming from this oral tradition. Anyway, I'm sorry to, to, to occupy the space so much, but it was, it's very interesting. It's very different than, than what I knew pranayama to be. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you're sharing this because it's very important to understand these things. You know, like I said, there are different teachers who are going to inter interpret these sutras differently and then put their own two cents into them and then create very different types of practices. Okay. And, you know, what I am teaching, what I teach is more traditional, more classical kind of practices, which are mostly found in the Pradipika and most, you know, like teachers like, Swami Shivananda and all that, right? And this is how we were taught. But then there are people who are going to go much deeper into these practices and, and kind of break down every aspect of these uh, of, of these practices, you know. And that's probably what you're doing. What's the name of the instructor? His name is Gokul Khan, Gokul, G-O-K-U-L-A-N-D-R-A. -A. Um, he practiced, he's a Finnish. He's actually Finnish. He's originally from Finland. 
but he um, lives in Malaysia. He has a website. Um, yeah, in, in fact, it, my friend is Adam Sobel, who practiced with you in New Jersey, probably shortly after I did 20 years ago for a little bit. Um, but anyway, yeah, Gokul. Gokul, it's like Gokul Andra Yoga is the name of his, um, mm -hmm. his school. I see. Mm -hmm. So he's going into, into subtler aspects of this pranayama, is this? Yes, very, very subtle. And again, I, I, I apologize in part for bringing it up because I can't even explain um, a lot of what's going on in yeah, the class yeah. just because I'm, I'm just, I'm really just trying to absorb and I'm going to have to, you know, look at it more after the course with some of the recording. That's fine. You know, uh, uh, I mean, if, if, if it's not inconvenient or if it's not improper, you may want to share one of those re recordings with me. I'd like to see what we... I, I, I will. If it's okay, I definitely will. I'd love for you to see it because it's, 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 it's but, interesting. You know, every, like I said, every style, they have a different approach. Like if you go to, if you go to, uh, you know, these tantrics, you know, those who you do Kundalini yoga and all that, they have a, they have a different approach. Okay? And when they do these dharana practices based on pranayama, based on breathing, they will do that very subtler observation of each, each segment of the breath. So every inhalation, you know, you kind of, they will say, okay, you start focusing at the nostril now and then see every movement of the breath, how it flows through the nostrils, how it goes through the back of the throat, how it's touching your bronchial system, how it's, you know, uh, uh, feeling in the in the lungs, and they will see. Okay, move the chest, move the lungs, and move the belly, and feel everything. And then they will say, "All right, now visualize that this prana is going all the way to your toes, and then going out through the toes." And all these things are mentioned by a lot of people. Different approaches. Yeah, and, and a lot of this, and it sounds similar to what you were just describing, is. Um... It requires, probably for me, because I'm such a beginner at what he's teaching, but it feels as if it requires a, a bit of imagination almost yes. um, until, I guess, you know, with practice, you, you can experience the intention of the practice. Right. But for now, like, I'm just trying to imagine where, like, a particular marma point that is referenced mm -hmm. is, and I know real actual connection, but my understanding is that, you know, after you do practice this and and understand those other energetic levels in part, you know, then it becomes second nature. But very good stuff. yeah, very, very, very kind of like mind blowing for me a little bit. Yeah, neat. Mm -hmm. I mean, even you know, when you talk about these marma points, you know, there are different approaches as to how many marma points are there. You know, some will say there are thirty-six, some will say there are eighteen. You know, uh, and I'm sure Amita knows a lot about these marma points. You know, so uh, she. I never heard of marma points. Where where's that mentioned or what uh, text? This is all Ayurveda and you know. Uh, oh okay, Ayurveda. Tantric. And, and, and what, what? Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say what's interesting is then I tried to research some marma points because I know that it, within Ayurveda there are, is marma therapy and things like that. And these marma points, as being taught, are actually not the same as those. Um, address that I in, and again, I don't know everything about Ayurveda at all. So that's um, that's what I'm saying. Different marma points, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's what everyone has their own kind of listing of these marma points, and they come from different lineages, different schools of thought. But you know, 
each one of these practices has, is of value. Don't don't disregard them. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I, again, I, I was looking at it as an opportunity to expand yeah. my pranayama practice. Yeah. Learn as learn as much as you can because each one will help you eventually. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have, um, I have learned and realized that, uh, and this is through the qigong practice, which is part meditative, is to keep everything simple. Um, if you want, uh, uh, pranayama is, is also a way of directing the life force and maybe even cultivating it. And if you want to direct it to a specific part, you set your intention first and then just do the pranayama. Our bodies are so intelligent yes. that they, they know, they, they, the body knows how to direct it once you have the intention set. Very good, yeah. Because when you try and do everything together, you are not doing anything properly and with the focus. Were, were you watching me in my class this morning? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you know, just from what you were saying, uh, it felt like um, for, for beginners and for, uh, you know, we, we are all students. Um, we haven't got there yet. So, so keep things simple because it can be, it become a source of, source of stress and the idea is to stay calm. Yeah, yeah. That's why, you know, like I said, I picked an approach which is more, uh, more traditional, more classical, you know, and then not going into that much depth like some of these people are going. Okay. So that, so that I can build a few practices which people can approach in a daily life. You know, it's easier for them. Yeah, I, I think that the folks that are doing this practice are, um, have a, a higher level of commitment than I do. Mm. Um, it, it, it may have sounded bad, but it just, I, I believe it requires a lot more attention and commitment mm -hmm. than, than, I, than, I, than I've exerted so far. <laughs> okay. That's fine. That's fine. All right. So uh, let us see. So again, you know, I, I have try to explain these words that are mentioned in the, in the sutra. Desha, for example, is location. Oh, by the way, I wasn't aware. We have gone past our time. <laughs> is that okay? For, uh, I need to drop in two minutes. Well, let's, let's drop then because this is going to take a little bit of time. So, uh, okay, let's stop here. I think I will Continue this on, on this slide, uh, which in my case, number 67, I'll make a note here. We actually go back to this slide, uh, this whole uh, sutra one more time next time. All right. Uh, it's a very beautiful discussion. But uh, since I gave the time at four and it's already 410. Uh, little... Subhashi, can we access these slides on your website or? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Thank yeah. you. They're all there. Uh, <laughs> these slides will all be they're all always there <laughs> okay so um, so it, it's number 67 on my in, in my list here and we'll actually go back to the sutra and kind of review the sutra next time also uh, and then we'll go from there all right so uh, if everyone is okay we always like to do five minutes of uh, quiet time you can call it uh, meditation or whatever else you want to call. Okay.
You're muted, Subasi. Okay, so everyone should mute themselves and then we'll just stay quiet for five minutes, all right?
in the closing sequence. So again, keeping the spine up, relaxed. This time we'll recite Om once now. Take a deep inhalation. Do the invocation to Patanjali one more time. <clears throat> Again, <clears throat> I just read it and you can follow along. Yogen chittasya padena vacham malam sharirasya chavadya kena yopakarotam pravaram muninam Patanjali Pranjali Ranatosmi Patanjali Pranjali Ranatosmi Abahu Purushakaram Shankachakrasidharinam Sahasrashirasam Shvetam Pranamami Patanjalim Closing Shanti Mantra. Om Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotir Gamaya Vidyurma Amritam Gamaya Om Shanti 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 Lead me from unreal to the real, darkness to light, from the fear of death to the knowledge of immortality. Peace, peace, peace. Thank you all very much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank hope, you. To, hope to see you back next month. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a good evening.